Colossians 2 is where we're turning again this morning. Colossians 2 and verse 10 is where we're going to focus. But this text is in a larger text of Colossians, really starting at verse 6 and going to the end of the chapter. Um, And even more specifically, I guess we could say verses 8 through 15. In fact, I think we'll read beginning at verse yeah, verse 8 here through verse 15, and see how Paul's argument comes forward, specifically a warning, a command to watch out for those who would try to come in and kidnap you, take you away, take you and lead you away from Christ. He says, watch out for those people. And he gives us reasons why we need to maintain our devotion to Christ and not turn aside to this or that and other thing. And he starts it here in verse 8. I'll read through verse 15 here. Colossians 2, beginning at verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he also has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. We've looked at these verses uh, previously, verses 8 and 9 in the last few weeks, and recognizing this is the main idea of this section, verses 8 through 15. Watch out. Take heed, be on the alert, be on the lookout for anyone who would try to lead you aside, maybe on even what they would claim to be a parallel path. You know, we're we're not denying Christ, we honor Christ, but we also need, and whenever you hear, yes, we do that, but forget about what they just said, focus on what they're about to say. But we need to do this, or we need to do that, or we need to pay attention to this over here, or listen, you know, but listen to us for a change. No. Stay devoted to Christ himself. Be uh, not taken away or you know, carried away through this empty deception, which is uh, claims to be philosophy, it claims to be wise, it claims to be from God, and so forth. But no, verse uh, 9, verse 8, rather, continues to say, it's according to the tradition of men. What's the origin of this? What is the, the uh, content of this instruction? Well, it's just what guys think. And, you know, guys kind of, men, people in general can be kind of foolish, especially when they're not founded upon the word of God, when they kind of maybe take a verse and then close the book and then they tell you what they think. No, go back to the word. What does the scripture say? These people are saying, oh, this is what we think, or this is what we do, or this is what we don't do. Focus on what Christ has done, what Christ has spoken to us. Don't focus on the basic stuff, the elementary principles, which I think in the context, I hopefully defended it well enough, that I think he's talking about Mosaic law or Jewish law, rabbinic uh, traditions that would bind the people and try to make them uh, approach God through their own personal righteousness rather than the righteousness, we just read it, the righteousness that comes by faith and in the power of God. We have to and can and must give attention to Christ himself. Notice it says, 
Don't watch, watch out for those who would lead you captive according to this and the other thing, but not according to Christ. We're captives of Christ. And we'll see here in verse 10, we have a completeness in Christ. What does that mean? Well, we don't have a completeness outside of Christ. Without Christ, we are empty. And we'll actually, we're not empty. We're full of something entirely different, which we'll see uh, as we go forward here. But we want to have or take every thought captive to, to the obedience of Christ. We want him to be central to all of our thinking the, in terms of the philosophy, our thinking, but also how that works itself out uh, in our daily lives. Everything characterized and, and marked, demarcated by Christ stamp, you know, the, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names in the Lord, names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, the scripture teaches. Well, these people had a particular path that they were pursuing, and we'll see that beginning in verse 16 to the end of the chapter of rules and restrictions and all these kind of requirements that they had, which Paul basically says, it sounds good, but it's of zero value. It has no value against fleshly indulgence, verse 23 uh, says. He says, what do you do? You focus on Christ. And then, of course, chapter 3 goes on to describe our life in Christ. The reasons that we should not be turned aside from Christ, he lists here, beginning at verse 9, verses 9 through and following. Wow, Jesus is God in the flesh. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. We saw that same kind of an idea back in verse 19 of chapter 1, where it says, it was, uh, and we kind of insert some words to understand what he's saying, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Wow, all the fullness of what? Well, he doesn't specify in that context. And even uh, the, the idea there, because here in verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, fullness of Godhead bodily, there it was the fullness, just the fullness Christ himself is the fullness of God. And we can see that, for example, in John 1, that uh, he is that one who perfectly uh, represents God himself to us. He has, no one has seen God the Father at any time, but the Son, the Word, has has uh, revealed or, or explained him to us. Or Jesus says later in the upper room, the, the uh, conversation he had with the disciples at the Last Supper, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Whoa, what a claim. What a claim. Or even the, the statements of the, the, uh, the claims of the prophets back in the Old Testament, you know, thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh. Jesus never said that. He says, you've heard it said this way, but I say to you, he was claiming authority. He was claiming a divine identity to himself that, I mean, no wonder multiple occasions the, the Jewish religious leaders picked up stones to, to stone him because he was blaspheming the claims that he made about himself. But it's not blasphemy if it's true. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and it continues to dwell. It's not like Jesus is now a disembodied spirit in heaven. No, the whole point of the resurrection is that his body would be raised up, which we even read in this context, raised up by the power of God. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we also can share in that. These are the reasons that Paul gives why we should cling to Christ and not be so willingly or maybe even reluctantly turned aside to this doctrine or this practice over here. Your life is in Christ. Don't be uh, conflicted. Don't be confused about that. Stay devoted to Christ. He says here at the beginning of verse 10, another reason why we give our devotion, our allegiance, our uh, to claim our identity in Christ is because in him you have been filled 
in him you have been filled. Now, we'll see. What does he mean by that? We'll see in this context what he means. But he is arguing and continuing his argument about why should we be so devoted to this guy, Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth? What's so special about him? A lot of different Messiah figures have arisen throughout history. Why Why should we be so taken with this guy? And from the first century, after all. Uh, and yeah, we, we have some, some tales uh, told about him, but why should we give him so much attention? Well, Paul is describing it here to the Colossian church. He says, look, in him and him alone dwells all the fullness of God bodily, in a, in a bodily form, in human form. And you could read Philippians 2, 5 through 11 for more conversation about that, 5 through 8, really, about his humility, his condescension, taking on human flesh and being made, you know, taking, uh, becoming a, a slave and dying, but not just a human death, I mean, a typical natural death, but the death of the cross, a public uh, uh, embarrassment to him, and a shameful death, death of a criminal. But he did that so we can live in him. It says, in him you have been filled. We have this, again, this statement, these, these wonderful, just two-word little statements throughout New, the New Testament, and, and to some degree in the Old Testament as well. But this just brief little statement, in him, or in whom sometimes, we'll see that in this context, or specifically in Christ, that little two-word statement is so, so powerful. And it comes in this context so many different times. In him is all the body, is all the fullness of God dwelling bodily. In him you have been completed or, or filled. In him we have life. In him we have been baptized. In him we have been raised up. In him we have, can you get the idea? It's Christ. It's about Christ. And when the church would, would somehow maybe, maybe want to separate ourselves from, from Jesus because of, uh, he has some pretty hard sayings and, and, uh, and he, he, you know, his whole thing about the, the death thing and, and sin and hell. Okay. That, that, that's really first century. We're 21st century. So we're going to do a little bit different now. We're going to, we're going to take the, the spirit of God's, you know, it's a, it's a book of love and we want to celebrate God's love. And it's just, we want to love each other. It's whatever you want. Jesus spoke very harshly about religious people who claim to know God, claim to love God. But he said, your, your hearts are so far from me. You, you look like whitewashed tombs, and, but what are you full of? You're full of dead man's bones. You look good on the outside, but you are, you're so far from me. You don't find your identity in me. You don't find your reason for being in me. You're, you're filled with all kind of other things. He says in him, Paul says here, in him, in union with him. And it's not even so much alongside of him or, uh, you know, he's our, our ace in the hole or whatever kind of metaphor you want to use. Uh, not uh, alongside of Christ, but in him. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. This is Colossians 3, 1, or 3, is it 3, 1, 3, 4? It's there in the first four verses of chapter three. And he says, in our life is hidden with Christ in God. Don't try to find, you know, I have Jesus. I have Buddha. I have Allah. I have whatever. I have myself. And we're, we're fine. If you try to add anything to Christ, saying that somehow he's insufficient, somehow I need to hedge my bets, somehow I, I don't know if Christ's righteousness will save me. Maybe I need to have my own righteousness. Maybe I need to clean up my own act. Uh, Christ is of no value to you. Why am I arguing that? Because of what Paul said in Galatians. 
Having started by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you think that what Christ has accomplished and and uh, administered to you through his Holy Spirit, you can somehow add to because of what you do or don't do? You foolish Galatians. He's, I mean, he's, he's pretty harsh. And that's one of his earliest letters. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This idea of bewitching is very similar to what he said back here in verse 8. Watch out for those who would take you captive, who would who would entice you with something that sounds so good because it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to uh, our sense of, of pride and self-worth and self-esteem and all that. The esteem we ought to have of ourselves is what we just sang, one of our songs. Uh, I'm a sinner through and through. I need a Savior. I need Christ. I need his righteousness. These false teachers in Colossae, claim to mean well, claim to want to give good things to the Colossian church, but Paul says it is full of wickedness. It is full of things that would take you away from Christ. In him and him alone you have been filled. In him is your identity. True life consists in union with him, not in searching after other things. And even, we'll see it later in chapter 2, talking about the worship of angels and why Paul makes such a big deal about Christ back in, in chapter 1, why Christ is over all the, all these things and all the creation came into being through him and, and for him. It's because he's not part of the created being. He's not one, as they would say, an emanation or, or kind of you have God and then you have these different spiritual angelic uh, created emanations, and finally you have us, and we need to approach God through those different mediators back to get to the God himself, and Paul says that's that's foolishness, that is wickedness, that is anti-Christ philosophy, that is man-made tradition. It denies the person and work of Christ himself. It's a big deal, this idea of Christ. When you're evangelizing, sharing the gospel, make much of Christ, it's not about the age of the earth. It's not about the inerrancy of Scripture. All those things are evidences or, or things that are ancillary to the discussion. What is this person going to do with Christ? Are they going to believe in him? Are they going to you know, cling to him as if he's their, their only life? It's that old idea and the analogy you've heard many times about uh, folks that are in a We'll use the analogy of an airplane that's going down. Well, what are they going to do? What are they going to hold on to? They're going to hold on to their, you know, the, the, um, the cushion, you know, hold on to your cushion because that's your life. No, you're not going to hold on to that so much. Uh, you're going to probably look for the parachute. Now, I know when you're on a passenger airplane, they don't assign you parachutes. I, we didn't get one last time we were on an airplane. But when you're on a, 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 a different situation in which you would have a parachute, you're not looking to, to hold on to your, your backpack or your, your briefcase full of whatever it might be, or you're not looking to, to make sure you get the peanuts, which they don't even give you peanuts anymore on the plane. But you hold on to that which gives you life. And that is the parachute, that which will ensure you will make it safely back to earth. Well, thankfully, we don't need, we don't want to be safely back to this earth. We want to be safely carried to heaven. No human parachute is going to do that. No uh, seat cushion, you know, that can be used as a flotation device in case of a water landing. Nothing like that. We want Christ who can take us from this earth, even from the grave, into his presence. Now, we look forward to the new heavens and new earth and all that. That's going to be tremendous. And, and we, we earnestly anticipate that. But more specifically, we want to be in God's presence. And, you know, he wants that too. He wants to be in our presence. He wants to be our God. He wants us to be his people where he is or where we are there. He wants to be as well. It's an amazing thought why the holy, righteous, eternal God wants to have fellowship from his created beings. 
well, not just his created beings, his redeemed human beings, his uh, redeemed humans. We have this great hope and promise that in him we have been filled. In Christ alone is our identity. It says here that we have this this reality about us. Notice this translation says, in him you have been filled. Now, if you are an aficionado, you use words all the time, right? Every day probably you speak something or write something. We sometimes get confused about verb tenses. What's a verb? Verb is an action word, something that describes uh, what's going on. Could be a, a verb of being or state or condition, or it could be a verb of action, you know, run, hit, kick, uh, sleep. Sleep is an action verb too. That's a good one. Really exciting, especially on a Sunday afternoon. But this is the idea of you have been. This is something that happened in the past and it has ongoing results. It's something that has been established. And when did it, when was it established? Well, it doesn't say specifically here. We can fill it out with from other scriptures, but it is not something that we are striving toward. This is not something that we hope to attain, although we'll see kind of a, a word of, of clarification maybe on that. But this is something that has been accomplished for us. We have been filled in Christ. We'll talk about what that means to be filled, but he says, this is not something you need to strive for. This is something that is true about you. Why, having been filled with Christ, or alongside, not alongside, but in the, in the, in the relationship you have with Christ, why would you try to add more to that? Have you ever taken something that is full, maybe a, a glass of water or something, and try adding more to it? You're going to make a mess. That it's not why. What are you even thinking about that for? Uh, especially when maybe not with with wet materials, but especially a solid substance. When you try to add more uh, cereal to your bowl or something, it's just going to fall over the top, fall over the sides, and 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 be a, a problem. We have been filled with Christ. There's no other need. We we are sufficient. Our sufficiency is in Christ. Our adequacy before God is in Him. We are, as I mentioned, accepted in the Beloved. There's nothing that we have to do to make us more acceptable to God. Now, it doesn't mean we ought not grow. We ought not be sanctified. We ought not be changing. You know, as Paul says in Philippians 3, I press on for the goal, the upward call of of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I strive toward that. But I know that I'm doing that on the basis of Christ's righteousness, not my own. That somehow I need to add to his righteousness by my own righteousness. No, I build on that. I want to work out. To, to let that flow out of my life, the, the righteousness, the mind of Christ, the words of Christ. I want to be so much more captivated by Jesus Christ himself. In him, uh, Philippians 3, uh, as I mentioned, 7 through 11, really focuses on that. And again, the earlier part of chapter 3, if there's anyone that could boast in his own self-righteousness and his own merits, his own, I'm a good guy and I've done all kind of good things, it's Paul, and yet he says, Verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss, as a liability, really, uh, as uh, for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God on uh, um, upon faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Why? In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
It's Christ. Again, if Paul were to boast in himself, in his law-keeping, in his, his uh, tribal identity, tribe of Benjamin, in his uh, zeal for, uh, the, for the law, his, his zeal even to be a persecutor of the church, no, it, it doesn't, doesn't value him anything. It's Christ alone. I regard all, all those things as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. We see this in the connection with the previous statement. We see in Christ the fullness of deity, not just a portion. In fact, it says all the fullness. If fullness were not enough, Paul says all the fullness. Everything about the Godhead is true about Jesus himself. Now, it's a great mystery in terms of how God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are one and yet three distinct persons. And yet we recognize that fact. Jesus is truly God and truly man. In him is that fullness. And then carrying right on the idea, we have that fullness, not the fullness of deity, but the fullness of Christ indwelling us. We have this uh, uh, just magnificent, resplendent identity in Christ. To be full, filled with something, we'll see specifically what we're filled with here, but he, this idea is, is used elsewhere in Scripture um, to be full of gladness, Acts 2, 28, according to the Old Testament, of course, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Or Romans uh, 15, 14 uh, says, I myself, Paul says of the Roman church, I myself also am convinced about you, my brethren, that you yourselves are full of goodness, having been filled with all knowledge and being able also to admonish one another. So being full has this idea of, of having a sufficiency for a task, having a adequate identity, having a, 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 a proper basis for any kind of action or a, a activity. And he says, I know that you are full of goodness and having been filled with all knowledge. Paul's been talking all in this Colossian 2 passage about wisdom and knowledge residing in Christ. He and all, you know, in him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside. And we have this reality then, why would we Say, well, it's real nice for Jesus to have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but hey, did you hear what they, what teacher so and so just said? That's pretty cool. I'm going to go spend some money on this thing over here or spend some time and, and maybe orient my whole life. I'll keep Jesus. I'll bring him along, but I'm going to go after this thing. Why would we do that? In him are all the treasures, the riches, the wealth of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And we say, ah, it's nice and all, but whoa, listen to this teacher over here. He's got a good insight. I don't know where he found that, but it's really good. Remember, you have been filled with Christ. You have been filled, uh, completed in him. And it's not like he's a second-rate savior. He is it. He is, he is the savior. He is the king. He is the one. You know, if, if you're not filled with Christ, it's not that you're empty. It's not that you're somehow a neutral character in the, in the world scene and, and you're, you're, you know, you, you have a, what was called a, a blank slate or you know, a tabula rasa kind of idea. Uh, no, we are sinful from the beginning. Uh, we were, if we're not filled with Christ, we are filled with, let me give you an example. Uh, Psalm 10, verse 7, His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. If you're not filled with Christ, what are we going to see in your life? Maybe not to the full degree as it could be de demonstrated. We see some nice, pagan, unbelieving people. But in general, if if you were to allow people, the, as the scripture says, to give full vent to their anger, specifically, but give full vent to their identity as un unsaved, unregenerate people, they're going to curse. 
um, you know, false, false oaths. They're going to lie. They're going to deceive people. They're going to oppress people. Uh, they will have mischief and wickedness. What does Jesus say? I mentioned this in passing maybe. Matthew 23, his, his, uh, excoriation. Is that a good word? That's Latin for, uh, basically ripping the skin off. Ah! Ripping the skin. He was excoriating these people. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside, this is Matthew 23, 25, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Robbery and self-indulgence. What's it all about? It's about me, what I can gain. At the expense of you, I don't care. I will take it. I am full of robbery, and it's all about me, self-indulgence. He says elsewhere that they were lovers of money. He says in verse 27 and 28, You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. In this way, you also appear outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. So if you're not in Christ, what are we full of? If we're not filled with Christ, we are full of hypocrisy. We, we presented a, a face, but we're, in reality, we're not that way. We're lawless. That means not that we disobey this law or this, that other law, but not obeying God's law, God's law to love him and to love others. Uh, you know, sin is lawlessness. In Acts 13, we see the statement, you are full, this is Paul, or Peter rather, um, or not Paul, Paul, talking to Simon, full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? I just need to confirm in my mind, Acts 13, that is the text. Um, yeah, Saul, he was still known as that. And talking to Elimas, the magician. There, you are full of all kind of nastiness and wickedness and everything. You're an enemy of righteousness, and you continually make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. How about this text from Romans chapter 1? Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you said, oh, we live in a Romans chapter 1 time. Well, unfortunately, we do. And yet, did you forget Romans 1.16? Because that characterizes our time as well. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation for those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is characterizing our age as well. God is still in the business of saving people. But what is God saving us from? Romans 1, I'll just pick a passage, beginning at verse 28. Just as they did not see to see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper. And notice this in verse 29. Having been filled. It's not like they. this was a new thing that they, they took on. No, they have been filled. This is their identity from the beginning. Filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. Those aren't nice things. You ever seen that in your life? And you say, oh, that's disgusting. Where did that come from? It came from our unsaved heart. Uh, um, you know, As unbelievers, but even our, our saved heart is still, uh, Romans 6 says, why do you present yourselves as slaves to unrighteousness? Why do you go after this greed and, and evil and things? It goes on and says, You are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips. You know, we're willing to say things that are not edifying about other people. Verse 30, slanders, haters of God. And this is what people are filled with. If we're not filled with Christ, what are we filled with? Haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful. As if we didn't have enough evil in this world, we invent new evils. And Nothing is new under the sun, and yet we try to make new, exp new expressions of, of wickedness. 
disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And then verse 32, although they know the righteous requirement of God, the law of God, not just the Mosaic law, but the, the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval, yay, pat on the back, to those who practice them. That is what, if, if you're not filled with Christ, by Christ, in connection with Christ, you are filled with all these nasty, wicked, wicked things. You could read in Romans chapter 3, I won't go there right now, but what are they filled with? You know, the poison of asses under their tongue, asps is under their tongue, and, and so forth. They're full of adultery, Peter says, Second Peter 2, uh, 15, 2, 14, rather. Uh, having a heart trained in greed. Oh, that's not how we need to do. In fact, Paul revisits this idea of greed in, in uh, Colossians 3, 7, I think it is, where he says, greed, which is idolatry. When you want, uh, you know, want more and more and more, what becomes your God? That thing, not God, not, you know, finding, not finding your sufficiency in Christ. You're finding it, your reason, your identity in these other things. He says, don't. I go after these other things. This is verse uh, 5, yeah, Colossians 3, 5. Greed, which is idolatry. We don't want to have anything to do with that. This idea of filled, I mentioned this here in this these two verses, verses 9 and 10, in the, um, the fullness and then filled. It's used many times in this letter to Colossians, and I think there was this... Uh, answer that Paul was giving to the false teachers because they like to use this term uh, filled or complete or uh, sufficient or adequate. And he says what they're promoting as adequacy or, or real sufficiency is will lead you away from that which is really your source. And not just a resource, but the actual source that you need to draw near to, Christ himself. Just for example, in fact, I, I looked at this, I think, uh, the the number of times the this root word in, in various forms, you know, noun and verb and adjective, uh, is used in Colossians is one of the highest uh, densities, you know, per number of total words in the in the in the letter, uh, in any book in the New Testament. John also uses it very. John John's Gospel uses it very highly. In fact, Second John I think has the highest concentration. Uses it twice, but it's a very short book. So uh, I think there are. Um, seven or eight or nine uses in Colossians. I don't have it numbered here, but very, very much high usage. Why? Because the false teachers were claiming uh, we can have a fullness. We ha- we need Christ, but this other stuff too in order to get the fullness. And Paul starts out verse 9. Colossians 1.9 says that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will, filled with the, the true knowledge of him, not just the half knowledge and not just a little bit of it, but filled with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then verse 19, the fullness of God and so forth. And then he says, I want to fill up, verse 24, to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We talked about that because he is receiving the the strokes, the, the penalty, the animosity of the world that they would have given to Jesus if he were on earth, but the apostles were there on earth in his, in his stead, and so they were receiving, filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions, not his atoning afflictions, but in his, his uh, temporal uh, receiving the hatred and, and um, murderous intent of an unsaved world. And he says, I want to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, verse 25. We want to attain to the full wealth or the full assurance of understanding, verse 2 of chapter 2. And then here in verses 9 and 10, as we've looked, and then later in uh, Colossians 4, Verse 12, Epiphras is praying that you may stand complete and fully assured in all the will of God. That you may stand complete and fully assured. 
there is a truth that I didn't draw out already, and that is, you remember back in Colossians 1 and verse 28, it says, we uh, proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man, every person, and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. Now that maybe is not, this translation I have now doesn't say in him you have been made complete, but that idea is is similar. Okay, is that something that Paul is striving for? But here it says it's already been done. You have been filled. You have been made complete in him. And yet he says back in, in verse 28 of chapter 1, I want people, I, I present, I want to, you know, I, I strive, verse 29 says, I strive for this the prospect that believers would be complete in Christ. What's well, a different word? And it actually is grown out here in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, that they may stand complete. That's the same word as, as he used back in chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, we may present every man complete in Christ. Has the idea of maturity, has the idea of uh, an end result, um, a full-grown adult, Ephesians 4.13, talks about the, until we attain to mature adulthood, to the measure of stature, which is the fullness of Christ. That's what our 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 guiding line, our our grade line, you know, the marker that we measure ourselves. We don't measure ourselves against one another. Um, Galatians 6 says that you, you do that, that, that. Don't do that. Examine your own selves, and then you'll have reason to boast, not in relation to what other people do or don't do, but in what you're doing. But he says... I want you to be complete. It's not the same idea here that something we were, that something that is established already, verse 10, uh, but something in that context that we work toward. Epiphras was praying that you may stand complete and fully assured. It's a compound word that uses this idea of a fullness, but it's a fullness of assurance, not a fullness of or with Christ. It's a fullness of uh, assurance in all the will of God, a devotion to God, a, a uh, a confidence that that he is for me, that I am accepted and beloved. Epiphras and Paul wants this this church to to rest in the work, the person and work of Christ Himself. One last use of this idea of filled or to um, to complete something, and that is verse seventeen of chapter four. I say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So this this wonderful idea of not just a, a half-hearted work, but something that is Full, something that is glorious and magnificent, something that is tremendous, something that doesn't need to be added to it. There's not an insufficiency with it. There's not something that, uh, you know, it's a good start after all, but I mean, it's, it's like running a relay race with only the first leg. Um, there's a few more legs we need to get on there. No, but a, a full marathon, one person running the whole thing, and it's not even us running it. It's Christ who accomplished it for us. We're just hanging along for the ride on Christ's righteousness. We need to work out our salvation and so forth. It's what Christ has done. And this is the emphasis that Paul makes here. In him you have been filled. I could mention the different uses in John's gospel or elsewhere, uh, but I won't take that time right now. In him we have this wonderful fullness uh, or, or fullness. Now, what, what is it? what's the contents then? What's this fullness that we have? Well, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to stick around for the next five weeks probably, as we unpack it, because what what is the fullness? Let me just tell you what it is. He's the head over all rule and authority. Nobody else comparable to him. There's nobody else on his same rank or level. He is head over all rule and authority. Uh, verse um, 11 says, You have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. You, you, you can't even do this yourself. It's what Christ has done for us. And it's not just uh, removing a, a 
part of the body, but the whole flesh, the body of the flesh has been removed. And we have a new heart. There is a time coming when even our bodies will be resurrected, will be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we full of? We're full of Christ. We're full of his His supremacy, his authority over everything. We are full of his cleansing, his, his removal of, of sin, of the curse from us. We are full of this identity of having been buried with him in baptism. And buried with him in baptism? Yes, because if we don't, if we have not died to ourselves, if we've not recognized his death as our death, and that we have been buried together with him, then we have no promise, no expectation of life in him. We have been buried with him in baptism. This is what we're filled with. We have been filled in him, in which you were also raised up. So we have not just the death and the burial, we have the resurrection. We have raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised from the dead. I'm going to give you a hint, a little tip. One of the things, one of the ordering ideas of this text uh, from verses, um, well, the second part of verse 10 through the end of uh, 615 is that in the first little section up to this point, actually, we see what Christ has done for us. We see him, we've been buried with him in baptism and so forth, but then it transitions from from God the Son to what God the Father has done. Notice, make the transition here at the end of verse 12. It's the working of God who raised him, and if you were to remove him and say he raised, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. But now it, it comes from the perspective of God the Father. And you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, this is God the Father, made you alive with him, that is Jesus. God the Father made you alive with Jesus, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions. What did he do? He canceled out the certificate of debt. You know, paid in full kind of thing. Done. No other claims against you. Canceled it. It was hostile to us. It was against us. It was uh, uh, condemning us. But he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus didn't nail it to the cross. God did it. Uh, through the, the human people that, you know, put that on there. But it's even Jesus himself. It's not the sign, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But Jesus himself is the satisfying payment for the debt that was against us. What are we filled with? These things. Having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. This is God the Father saying, hey, guys, I won. Jesus is the victor. Why should we say, hey, Jesus, you're a great victor, but I'm going to go find another champion for me. Man-made tradition, philosophy of men, empty deception, because I think that's got, you know, a little corner on the truth. What? You have been filled with him. You have salvation in him. And really, that's the big rubric, the big under, uh, over underlying, overlying, whatever idea of this whole passage is salvation. We have salvation, complete, filled, done, accepted, uh, accomplished in Christ. Don't try to add to it. Don't try to think, well... Yeah, that's it's good, but I'm going to go after this other stuff. Focus on Christ. Focus on what he has done. We have been filled in him. Now, for a more explanation of it, we'll see as we continue to unpack this wonderful section. And I wish that if I were faster enough in preaching that we would have been talking about the resurrection next Sunday. But it's going to be the Sunday after. Sorry. In this, in this text, unless I do something different entirely. But this is a wonderful text that shows the salvation we have in Christ done, sealed, and even delivered to us. And we can have this assurance. If you're in Christ, there's nothing else you need.
Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your abundant provision, not just a little bit of salvation, not just a little bit of, you know, just a glimpse of heaven, but you have opened wide the gates through Christ, and we have a complete redemption. We're so grateful for the simple promise, call upon the name, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We pray that you would save souls this morning, recognizing there's nothing I can do or can't do in my own self that would make me any less an object of condemnation than what Christ has done. He took my sin in his body and and you nailed it to the tree so that the debt against us, the hostile intentions of the law was canceled done away with, and we can have forgiveness, we can have redemption, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us to be devoted to Christ. Please help us not to be led captive or carried away by any kind of thing that would would distract us from Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. Please help us to celebrate him. Please help us to brag about him, to be a God's cheerleader, as it has been said. We're thankful for each one who's here. Please save, please sanctify, please help us to rest, not in ourselves, but on what Christ has done. We pray in his name. Amen.